0: Welcome to a special edition of The Big Interview where Graeme picks up on a few of the clubs and storylines which have illuminated the La Liga season just finished. We don't touch on Barca or Real Madrid in this chat because we have a couple of separate episodes on those clubs looking back at their league run-in and ahead to their last 16 second leg ties against Napoli and Man City respectively. Listen out for them, in the meantime please enjoy this bonus La Liga show. Why don't we start with Valencia because they're a club we've talked about a lot on this podcast Won the Copa del Rey last season under Marcelino who was subsequently sacked in September And and that just seemed to have quite a destabilising effect on on the whole squad A really poor post-lockdown and they finished ninth, miss out in European football Every time we talk about them it just seems to be bizarre stories and and strange decisions What, What has gone wrong this season there? I
1: think you've nailed it Martin I and mean, I know how much you enjoyed Valencia and listen, that cup final was exceptional, wasn't it? You, you know, pa- powerful, uh, full of skill they ran bustling you know, off their off their legs um, you've named it number one Marcelino was the right coach he was getting them to play football whereby not only were they extremely hard to beat um, the squad was dramatically united behind him and I think that having won a trophy I mean the central thing if anybody's forgotten is that when Valencia's financial situation and the company that owns them uh, Meriton which is you know Peter Lim is the major shareholder he Peter has every right to say well I, I want to start to see a return on my money that's that's completely justifiable and I go back to him again to the financial plan that they published whereby you know they had to qualify for the champions you know several years ago they, they published this plan, financial plan saying we have to qualify for the Champions League for the next 20 years and, and when we get there we need to make money by selling some of the big stars who've got us there. So it's that recycling of top four every year um, which is a hard ask, uh, but also replacing a player or two who's been central in taking you to the elite positions and therefore you start a culture with players coming in knowing that if they're good for a season or two they'll get sold on to a big club for lots of money that, that was their plan and, and, and Marcelino last season um, when those above him and know um, who is let's call it the uh, Peter Lim's representative on earth both of them wanted Valencia to, to stop putting so much resources into the cup to concentrate on with that question getting in the top four and Liverpool was annoyed that Marcelino defied him, not only put resources into the cup and then won it, memorably, beautifully, down in Seville. But when he got Valencia top four and into the Champions League, Marcelino was saying, well, let's reinforce now to get bigger, to get better, let's challenge for the league. And on this year's evidence, that was the right decision. On this year's evidence, a reinforced Valencia could, without question, have finished top four again And with that question, could have been one of those sides that was using this as a vaulting year to get closer to the top two and then to think about a title challenge the year after. That's not what the owners uh, decided or wanted. They kicked out Masura. That was a big, big mistake. They undermined the relationship between the squad and the club. During lockdown, they treated Ezekiel Garay, the centre half, really badly. He gave an emotional, tearful um, video about the way he'd been treated. That, did, again, did no good at all. We've talked in this podcast about lack of crowds. Um, I'm afraid to say those who run Valencia can be absolutely delighted that the Mustaya wasn't letting crowds in because the anger about what's happening at the club will be immense. And I don't go back on my word. I think when Peter Lynn looks to, to reduce the, the debt to, to get some of his money back, that that's that's fine. How you do it and to whom you delegate the decisions, they, they went through a couple of uh, sporting directors this season, including Cesar Sanchez, an um, ex limited goalkeeper. Um, there is a feeling of, of knee-jerk decisions. There is a feeling that... Um, there's going to be a, a fire sale of assets um, for as difficult a season as Valencia have had in terms of um, avoiding defeats that they shouldn't have suffered. In terms of having had a, a, you know a clutch of goal scorers injured at a time when it was vital that they just kept plugging away. If you look at the fact that they you know they finished in the last eight, three points, or if you want to go head to heads but three and a half points off. A European place in in this season when it has been sacking after sacking rumour after rumour contretemps after contretemps injuries to key footballers key footballers who don't want to renew their contract Ferran Torres for example and, and now there's going to be a fire sale I'm really sad to say it but there will be a fire sale I think just about everybody in the squad except for maybe Carlos Soler and and Gaia, the, the full back, you can make an offer for. And instead of Valencia kicking on from 12 months ago, where they win the cup final and they finish in the Champions League and get through their group, a really tough group, you know, if you think about what they achieved in getting through in a group that contained Ajax and Chelsea, it's remarkable. Yet we find ourselves several steps backwards and if I'm honest I think that I don't understand how they won't be several steps backwards again as we begin the league season in September.
0: Graeme, I know you want to talk about Sevilla, who I think were unbeaten in the last fifteen games to finish fourth place and obviously qualify for the Champions League. I want to hear a bit about their season, um, but I also want to give a uh, mention to our old friend and swimming pool jumper, Jesus Navas, who I think started most of their games and, by all accounts, seem to have had a an excellent season for them. So, can you tell us a little bit about Sevilla's season? Well, it's it's first of all, it's, it's credit to
1: Monchi, I think, because if you look. At at um, their transfer operations. I, I wish I'd counted this up before we began talking, but they had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 players in, and 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29... There, there was a 49 player, I'll say that again, like they used to in the Saturday uh, score checks uh, repeat, 49, a 49 player movement across the last summer and this winter's markets. Now that should lead to chaos. It should lead to good players slipping through the net. It should lead to some players coming in and taking a season and a half or two seasons to accommodate themselves rather than hitting the ground running within a month and if you look at what Monchi did I remember working with Lauren ex-Arsenal but a Sevilla resident his kid Jesus is a striker in the Sevilla Cantera and Lauren was one of the Invincibles and he's known for his his time there and at Mallorca but Sevilla is his club and he told me early in the season that Monchi's expression to him in a conversation was we've built a squad to win everything now no trophy this season yet, they're still in the Europa League. But the way in which um, Lopetegi who's a coach, a coach whose football I don't particularly enjoy, I have to admit, but has, has got these footballers working and fitting. And they've made footballers like, for example, Oliver Torres and Munir better footballers. And the impact that Reguilon, on loan from Madrid, Jules Koundé, who was bought from Bordeaux, used to be a Gus Poyer player, and, and Gus said, Look, he's a fantastic young footballer, but he's he loves to go for a wonder. He's a centre half, and he says he if you can never get blinkers on him and if you can get him to defend rather than just having a charge upfield, and you know, there's a really talented, if adventurous footballer there. Koundé has been one of the players of the season, not just for Sevilla, anywhere. Lucas Acampos has said his best season ever. And this utterly maverick, hard running Tasmanian devil footballer has never had as much impact anywhere else either. And if you look at his age and the the impact he's had on Sevilla, having been at Monaco, River Plate, Marseille, Genoa, Milan, you know, senior important clubs. And he's never had a season where he's scored 14 times in 31 league starts. And again going back to crowds his biggest loss is that the, that the Nervion wasn't open to fans for the last third of the season because he's now the darling of that club and they need that, they're so passionate there Our campus has been brilliant, he's a new signing Fernando has been absolutely fantastic he's given them an order and a solidity that they didn't have before I could go through Three or four more players, but I'll stop at Diego Carlos and think that his partnership with Koundé has been the revelation at centre-back of this entire Liga season. And I would say that, I take your point, in Jesus Navas, they've got somebody who is extraordinary. And given that when we started talking about him way, way back, this was a guy who had panic attacks if he went outside of his own backyard, to go eventually to Manchester City to thrive there and to be converted into a right back wing back. That was already something that I th- yeah. think, if you just stop, because we're in such a treadmill, things move so fast in football. If you just stop and go, hold on, Jesus Navas spent several years in the reign of Manchester and became a full back. And, and now he's become, as you pointed out, a guy who started 37 of the 38 matches. ...played in all 38 league matches. In November, he's going to turn 35. We do love a Scorpio. And he was exceptional. And what's more, it's not just perpetual roadrunner up and down. His judgement about when to balance in that sort of swivel motion... ...the balance of scales when Regulon goes it tends to be the case that Navas is intelligent enough to stay when Navas goes regulon st- still has to learn about when to stay or go on the left side we're talking about the two that they're they play with the spirit of wing backs but they but they normally play in a four man defence not always but normally and He's the guy who crossed into the middle the most and the, and the one anomaly in their season is that Luke de Jong looks like he's a competition winner. If you go back and see his, his PSV goals, he should have been somebody to benefit from the use of the ball of Navas and Regulon in particular. He hasn't. He doesn't look right. It's time to get rid of him. They desperately need a centre-forward. I'm sad that they're saying goodbye to Ever Banega, who's a classic, an absolute classic footballer. But I look at Sevilla, and now they're a side that I've begun to enjoy watching playing. I still disagree with some of the things that lopetegi is a very conservative man, and I think that his ability to grow a pair of cojones and beat big teams and how to play big teams is something that is still these are uh, these are skills he's got to work on and he's got to be bullied into by those above him in Sevilla but their finish um, the fact that they're still in Europe in, in the Europa League their finish guaranteeing them group football in the Champions League next season and the vast amount of wealth that that brings Indicates that even though the market is strange this season, Monchi can indulge himself in signing four or five more, 44 or 45 more players, but there'll be four or five more key signings which can make Sevilla a very, very interesting project um, next season.
0: Good old Monchi. let's talk about Granada another fascinating tale promoted to La Liga last season um, they've got La Liga's youngest manager Diego Martinez and they won three of their last four games to grab the final Europa League spot tell us a little bit about them
1: well, I like your segue because obviously uh, Diego is the next people of Monchi Monchi spotted him promoted him gave him a Sevilla's B team and gave him his blessing to go away cut his teeth and, and be you know, start to think about future roles as Sevilla's manager. When that comes, he's in the lap of the gods, but it will happen. And I've got mixed feelings about this. It was a, it was a gorgeous um, scene on the last day when Granada were huddled on the pitch around their... their <laughs> I'm sure it was... If it wasn't transistor radios, then maybe it was their, their mobile phones waiting for the final result um, to make sure that what was their, their biggest win against athletic since the 70s uh, when they thrashed Athletic 4-0 and that win was enough to take them into Europe for the, for the first time ever so for a club of that because they're a renowned club in Spain without being a giant club for, for them to achieve that in a season when they'd just come up when their principal striker Soldado was 38 or whatever he is um, I thought was you know it is a massive achievement there's no question about that Is it one that I'm fully in love with? I'm not convinced because the side that they picked to go into Europe was Hitafi, who were playing in Valencia against Levante in one of the most bizarre games you'd ever wish to see with about, I think there were about 32 goals ruled offside, a missed penalty, red card, It, it was just off the scale. Levanti get their goal early, it means Hitafi are definitely not going through to Europe via the league, they're still you know, if they go and win the Europa League they're in the Champions League, which would be heavenly but Granada and Hitafi share a concept Um, and in Granada's case, because of their different resources, I can understand it. But it's like, we don't particularly want the ball. We're going to defend relatively deep. We're going to play in the counter-attack. The percentage of times we use the ball long rather than short is going to be deeply imbalanced towards the longer ball. We'll have some of the players who commit the most fouls in the league. And they're not like a twin brother of Hitafi, but they're like cousins in that hitafi tactically foul. Um, again, they don't particularly want the ball. Each of the sides are happy with about 40 to 43% of possession. They'll, play, they'll try to win the ball high up the pitch. Both of them have got footballers. That's the thing that absolutely needs to be said and loudly because simply because there's a, a, a reason to disagree with the playing idea doesn't for one second mean that Granada can't boast for example, let's pluck a few names. Domingos Duarte has been a revelation. Um, we'll move on to bigger things eventually. Carlos Fernandez has been the hero of the second stage of the season for uh, Granada. Uh, Younger Herrera, if I'm not mistaken, I think still on loan from City. He's not a City player, but he's got enough. That, again, a big cl- uh, and the most logical thing is that Hatafi, when they're restocking. We'll go and look at Granada and, and, and pay prices that Granada can't refuse, and and kind of take like for like footballers. And and while it might be that the the biggest resource at Granada is their manager, there are really good. Rui Silva was an excellent goalkeeper. Right across the squad, you can say that Granada have bought talent, have invested in talent. I'm just not, you know, it, we're ten years on from the epitome of Spanish football that the centerpiece of the three tournaments La Roja won. Uh, this is the 10th anniversary of Soccer City and the way that, that Spain outplayed the world in three consecutive tournaments using possession, using wit, using cleverness, brilliant passers, guys who had a dribble who could go past people, almost completely forsaking the type of uh, tactical foul and long ball deep defense that, that Granada and Hitafi play. So it's a beautiful story. They have an extremely clever coach I, I enjoy achievement and I enjoy stories just not a massive fan of the way that Granada play and and I'll sum up if you look at the bottom three Lega had every piece of bad luck going in that you know they, they lose in Naziri to Sevilla for a decent fee and a profit fine outside the transfer market they, they, they then lose Brathwaite because Barcelona are allowed to replace Dembélé because in theory he's injured for the season and rules allow them Barcelona or any club with somebody who's out for the season to make a signing out with the transfer market, but the rules don't allow the club that's been asset-stripped to go and sign somebody else. So they lose two strikers like that. They lose Guido Carrillo, injured. Um, Oscar doesn't play in some of the big matches towards the end of the season. And somehow or other, um, Javier Guiri organises Lega into playing a brand of football, which with one more goal against Real Madrid... And um, the last day of the season, which ends in the two to draw, and, and they should have had a penalty, they stay up. And it would have been probably the biggest footballing miracle in my 19 years in, in Spain. Mallorca played wonderful football, um, they just couldn't defend. Their home record was exceptional in Take, in Budimir, in Salva, in Lago Junior. They had footballers that I hugely enjoyed watching. I think Baba is going on to bigger and better things in in central midfield. And and the one that let us all down is Espanol. You talked about Valencia and and be careful what you wish for because a year ago Valencia were celebrating and everybody was going mad and now they're in the doldrums. A year ago Borja was carried off the pitch at Espanyol as they won the last game of the season to go into Europe for the first time in over a decade. And you know they, they didn't work hard enough to retain Ruby. They didn't work hard enough to retain Borja. Both of them went to Betis and failed. Espanyol never got going. They appointed the wrong coach to begin with. They 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 changed everything with it, what Machin was brought in you know to to try and deliver it was like a a complete volt So we've been we've been marching south right oh let's let's let's, let's march north now abelardo comes in he's going to save the club with with the the shutdown momentum is robbed when they come back Raldo thomas their scorer that they bought at christmas is injured And they say to Abelardo, we want you to commit now for next season, whether we're relegated or whether we stay up. He says, no, I'd rather jockey for position and wait till the end of the season and then decide, Mm. right, there's the door, you're sacked. Ruffetti comes in and loses every game. It's been abysmal and it's been a dramatic impact on on a club that um, I think is an important one, which gave us really exciting football last season, which until they met Wolves were coasting through the Europa League. That was not a shower of idiots that got relegated at the bottom of La Liga with just five wins. You know, when I say only 58 goals uh, conceded, there were several sides above them um, that conceded at or around that total. They just couldn't score. They waited too long to react in terms of the players that they sold and the manager that they lost last season. They made bad decision after bad decision. It's been a whimpering, pathetic, dirty water trickling down the drain. Descent from the Primera into the Segunda for Espanol. And while I wish them luck in getting back quickly, um, unless they improve their decision-making significantly, they won't. And by the way, Martin, listen, for, for, for our listeners' sake and for a guy like you, not to say goodbye properly to, I mean I've written about this and I think I read the column but not to say goodbye properly to a, a wonderful man in Aritz Adarith who retired three quarters of the way through the season having scored one of the goals of the season on the opening day with his overhead kick against Barcelona and to, to not be a little bit sad for La Liga but happy for Santi Cazorla that he's off to play for Xavi at Al and and well, as a two, even though Chavi and I send him best wishes, I had a chat with him two, three days ago after he was diagnosed with COVID, and he says, Oh "Listen, I'm fine. I'm stuck in the hotel. I'm, you know, I'm isolating. I don't feel any symptoms." So, in theory, you know, the dreaded COVID is is not going to affect our adoration for Chavi Hernandez, but he's signed Casorla Casorla was off the scale this season. I think he'd be in many people's team of the season at that age with. The uh, physical impact that the injuries and faulty operations have had on him, again, is is pretty miraculous, and I'm sad to see him go, but I'm happy that he'll benefit financially, that he'll bring his wisdom to a football nation that's trying to develop its abilities. He'll teach people while he's there. And when you lose somebody important in your life, the best thing you can say is, well, I'm sorry we're parting, but I'm glad we met. So, adios, Santi Sola and Aritz Adoreth, and even the crazy Ever Okay,
0: listeners, that's your lot for today. Graham, thank you very much for your time. Adios, viva la Liga, and viva the Champions League as well. Baby.